Welcome to the final episode of the fall season of 76 West, a podcast from the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan. Conversations at the JCC are made possible by Zabars and Zabars.com. I'm Jason Blitman from the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas, and on today's episode, I talk to Chef Einat Admoni. Einat Admoni was one of the first chefs to introduce Israeli cuisine to Americans. She has opened 13 restaurants throughout her career. Named a fiercely determined chef by the New York Times, Chef Einat's known for her acclaimed restaurant, Balabusta, and as the founder of Taim, the beloved falafel chain. She's also the author of two cookbooks, Balabusta and Shuk. She appeared on the Food Network's reality television show Chopped three times and one twice. Please enjoy my conversation with Chef Einat Admoni. talked a lot about your early memories of cooking, being growing up in a very religious household in Israel and cooking with your family on Thursdays kind of in prep for Shabbat. What are, when did you when did you start cooking for fun? Uh yesterday. Uh, <laughs> started yesterday. I said, "Wow, this is fun. Should make it a profession." No, I always I think um Wow, I have a lot of failure at the beginning, mm. I would say. Uh, not a lot, but like it's, I have a lot of like uh, tried out dishes that was like, yeah, crazy stuff. Um, I think when I went to military, I would say. So I started uh, in the Air Force as a driver uh, in a small unit, like fire, like fighters, pilot, whatever unit in the mm. military, in the Air Force. And I uh, became a cook over there slowly. So I think over there I really enjoy and I see all the trades and skills that my mom taught me as a kid, like actually paying off now. So, how, does, how do you slowly become a cook in the IDF? How does that even happen? I think I uh, start getting into the kitchen. So every time I have a little bit like some time off I would get in and there is a small kitchen of the unit it's not mm. like the base main kitchen because that's huge and the pilots would almost never go there they have their own tiny kitchen that they have a two older women citizen women that come from a city n- near and they used to cook for them so I used to kind of watch them and help and sometimes when they leave I would continue and everybody loved my cooking and uh, then uh I remember it was in the Gulf War and the general asked me to actually prepare a huge meal for 20 people and ask uh, to choose my own sous chef, five sous chefs. So we created a crazy meal for the whole high generals in the Air Force. And that was pretty interesting. Now, when I look back of what I used to cook back then, and I know back then it was exciting. Now I look at it, I'm like, oh, my God. You know. Have any of those people? I got better. I got better since then. <laughs> well, of course, but the the question better. was the question was about wh- when did it start becoming fun? And so I imagine when nobody yeah. was, you know, when you were a kid, your mom was like forcing you to do things. So now, when when you were doing it for for your own sake, but then also when people started to enjoy it, I imagine that's a fun thing too. It's nice to be appreciated. Yes, I think it's this, as a kid, I was like a black ship at home. Like I have an older mm. sister that was very educated, very good in everything she does. 
and I'm just a troublemaker. I always hang with the bad kids. Um, I run away from home. I did a lot of like crazy stuff. I smoke weed too early, a lot of, a lot of bad stuff. So I give my parents a lot of grief <laughs> and I think and always get for my family. And I think that when I start getting some kind of uh, appreciation and kind of like compliment about my cooking, it was great. I'm good in something. So I'm mm. not a completely fuck up. So that was a, a great thing. I mean, and that's such an interesting, I think, example for parents to think about their children that maybe are a little bit challenging. And it's like, well, let's help them find the thing that they're good at, that they're excited about, that they're inspired by, and know that they can succeed in doing something. I think, and that's a a testament to that. And the folks that you were cooking for in the military, have, have any of them been to your restaurants? Wow, that was years back. Yeah, actually, few. Now, when I'm thinking about years back, but few, yes. That's funny. Yeah. And, and any of them were like, oh, I remember when you were making, you know, oh, you rice, got better. Rice and slop. So right? <laughs> I remember the soy, garlic, honey chicken you did that was, uh... <laughs> but yes. Early on, did you have, were there favorite things that you liked to cook at that time? I think things change a lot. So as Mm. a kid, you know, we usually embarrassed by the... Israel is full of immigrants, yeah, like Jews that came from all around the world. My mom came from Iran. And I think as a kid, that kind of a cuisine, it wasn't, you know, you want to be Israeli, Americanized almost, like to have like the local... uh, And it took me a little bit first palate wise to kind of like appreciate all this amazing flavor that that cuisine uh, offering and like there are things I used to hate as a kid that my mom used to make and now I'm like wow I can't wait to have them again mm. so things change a lot you know our palate changes to evolve and we open up for more flavors and more texture and more things as you know yeah I mean it's funny that you say that because I think a lot of people, when they're younger, texture, uh, spices, uh, there are all sorts of things that our palates are just not ready for. Um, But then as we evolve and change and get older, we are, I guess, willing to try some of those things. And and I always teach uh, people when I do any appearance of panels, when you talk about feeding kids, I always give a lot of ideas how you can evolve kids' palates, you know? Mm. And I, I think it's a good, uh, my kids are a great example for a teenager that eat almost everything. My daughter eats any level of spice, like anything, which is wow. a very impressive. Uh, my son would eat any kind of weird stuff. Like when we've been in Israel, he, we had bowls testicles. He was going nuts over that. So I need to ask all my friends where I can find those so I can grill. Wow. Uh, I know. He came back to school. He was like <laughs> eight, nine years old. He said, bowls <laughs> testicles are the most delicious things. I'm like, okay. They have a different name here in America. <laughs> uh, sounds so much better. It's almost like your favorite oysters. So... <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Wait, so what? what is that trick? What? How do you help evolve a, a younger person's palate? First, there is few things, few rules. You know, we don't have much rules in the house, but there is few rules. Also, I'm married to a Frenchie, so, and he grew up with a lot of manners, you know? Mm. Compared to me, there is a lot of manners around the table. Uh, no, never TV and food. 
there is no combination of like watching something and uh, and eating while or you know kids now do the phone and eating like i see sometimes and i'm like taking like you're never going to do that you need mm-hmm. to respect what you have on the table we have family meals like we really kind of like sitting together nobody get get up we have a conversation we um that's one thing it's about respect about your your are the family members and the table and the, the person that cook for you. That's one thing. Then uh, you don't have to finish your plate, but try mm. not to take too much than what uh, you can consume. Finish the plate. That's a, I think it's a beginning of obesity um, and bad eating habits as well. So just try not to take too much at the beginning. That's one thing. Uh, you can't say no to something you never tried before. There is no, I don't like it. How do you know? You that try take even a tiniest bite. This is that rule. Change <laughs> my. I, I remember my son face when he was younger, and he would make this horrible face about something. And I'm like Liam, you know the rule. You now need to take a bite, and then you take a decision. Mm-hmm. You don't have to eat things you don't like. So he would take a, a, a tiny bite, like really scared of it, and then slowly you see the expression changing. And then he would look at me and said, okay, that's not too bad. I'm like, now take another bite. And then he will finish the whole soup or whatever is that. So kids have things with texture and color, yes. And mm-hmm. um, and the, the other things, the things that they're really certain already in the head, they ha- like th- that they don't like, like zucchinis. Until now, they're like, I don't like zucchini. Okay, so I will put zucchini in every meatball, in uh, pasta sauces. I would grate it inside and not fill in them, you know, but they have it inside. A lot of, they love greens, like any asparagus, mm. any bok choy, a lot of greens. So that's good. But so there is some stuff that I will, I will like kind of, I want them to try. I think to yeah. try very, kids are picky. Most mm. kids are picky. So for me, some, I adult, some adults are picky too. I know. I know. <laughs> oh, picky adults are the worst. <laughs> my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, he's getting a lot better now, but he had a hard time trying things at, at, at a time. Yeah. But now he's better at, at being willing to taste something. Too late. I know. I know. Okay. And even for me, I try, if I don't, if I didn't like something a first time, I give, I still give it another shot. Because, yeah. or I keep trying it because maybe I'll like it the fourth or fifth time because it might be the way it's prepared or it might be, you know. I think when I opened Balabusta in 2010, I got, I'm not joking, probably 100 or more. Like every day I get somebody that, oh my God, I never know that cauliflower can be so delicious. Because mm. until Balabusta came around, we had cauliflower in town, but not as great. There is some Middle Eastern places that used to do fried cauliflower and this, not a lot. And Balabusta created one of the best cauliflower dishes. And I, this and eggplant, that's two, I always call them my heroes vegetables. This is the two vegetables that Balabusta was kind of like showing it in such a different way that people wasn't really aware. And I got like hundred times, like people said, oh my God, my mom used to boil this cauliflower and I hate it. It smells like fart and it's disgusting and there's <laughs> barely any salt on it. And I'm like, okay, there is better way because cauliflower can take so many different flavor. Cauliflower can be so nice when it's crispy and fried or roasted really well. And it was really nice to see that changing people's mind about vegetable they always thought they hate. I want to go back to something though, because you said 
Balabusta created the most amazing cauliflower, but really you're being you're being p- polite and you're being uh, humble because it was you who created the best cauliflower. Yeah, but I'm the Balabusta. <laughs> yes, you are the Balabusta. So now let's talk about that name. Has so it it's it's a good housewife. Yes. Yes, but I I actually have so many different layers and explanations for that name because mm-hmm. when you said good housewife sounds super oppressive for me you know mm-hmm. i'm not a great housewife obviously <laughs> i'm a, i'm okay housewife um it's there is something very oppressive i always joked about that uh for me uh this kind of terms was very oppressive until i realized that everything about balabusta and the trades and skills was the engine of my career and helped me to be a better chef and even a better person uh, and keeping, you know, try to keep things in very tight in my kitchen and not to have too much waste and how I feed people and the whole way of living. I think it's super interesting. So yes. So Balabusta. So this is what I always said. Balabusta start from Balabust, which is uh, the owner of the house. But I think they realized that uh, very fast that the woman is running things. So it became Balabusta. So Balabusta for me, it's the woman that, yes, it's a great housewife. It's the woman that know how to clean very well. She have the, all the tricks. She know how to sew. She know how to cook. She's like also have some spiritual level there. Like she's born the family. She's gathering. If somebody fights, she will make a piece. And there is a lot, a lot of things like that. That for me, that's like a Balabusta. One of the other things you said about five years ago was that Balabusta embraces the feminine side of cooking. And I think, you know, which I think is a cool concept. And, and you know, you said that there are many people that have talked to you about kind of running in, in a man's world as, a, as, as running restaurants and things like that. Do you, has, has your feelings about that changed at all? Have your feelings about that changed at all? Like in many kitchens in New York City, I was the only woman. I yeah. never find it. I'm also, I, I explain many times, I come from a different culture. I've okay. been in the military, in the Israeli IDF for two years. I deal with a lot of assholes in my life, and I mm-hmm. learn how to deal with that. So for me, compared to a lot of friends of mine here that was, you know, frozen and and carry like a lot of like feeling and and... Uh, even depression out of it. Like for me, it was easier back then and always to speak my mind right there, not hold it big, something make me uncomfortable. I wouldn't wait. I would just say it. I would like need to be very confrontational right away. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a different thing. I think something that uh, I think being in the military, serving in the military for, for these years is like kind of, um, I grow a uh, very thick skin. So yeah. being in a man world, like. Well, it's interesting. My, a former roommate of mine was a cook and he worked at some of some very high level restaurants. He worked at per se on the line. He worked at um, Oceania. Is that Oceania? Yeah, um, o- Ocean- oh. I know what you're talking about, but yeah. <laughs> Um, a handful of these really fantastic restaurants. And so hearing some of his stories, it was just very interesting. But something else that he, he, anytime I would refer to him as a chef, 
he would say, I'm a cook. And when, has that ever transitioned for you? When did you, when did you feel like a chef? I like this question. You see, you did good, Jason. I like this question because I get very, you know, now you will see people that uh, post two things on Instagram and they call themselves chef. They actually Mm -hmm. call themselves chef, this chef, that I'm like, how, what make you chef? Like why you feel comfortable to call yourself a chef. It's very annoying. I work years in the industry and I still, even when I was chef, real chef, I have my own recipe, my own. It's still, I didn't need the title. I still now, I hate chef. I not like, I, I don't need that. But it's not just about that. Some people have a different state of mind in the kitchen. They want more structure. They like the idea, hey, chef, chef. And now everybody's a chef in that kitchen, which I found it very silly. Uh, but I get very annoying. Like I, I was so uh, a kid. He was 17 years old. They're doing a lot of Instagram video and this, and he's like, chef this. I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like your roommate or your old roommate. Yeah. No, yeah, he, because and, I'm still, I'm a cook. I'm amazing cook. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's fine. Yes. I'm a chef. I'm a, I'm a professional established chef by now but at the end of the day i'm cooking i'm a cook i'm a great right you have two cookbooks out you've had multiple restaurants you you know it took me eight years to say chef by the way it's like and after i was already a real chef not working Mm -hmm. for somebody else i have my Mm -hmm. own menu in the first place was um i have a place called uh several places in town that i was the head chef and and my menu, not a chef on top of me. And still it was hard when people call chef. I'm like, I don't need that. Please stop. Yeah. Hey, not. And it also it's part of my comedy set as well. Like a lot of people call me chef. It's mostly because they can't pronounce my name. So <laughs> I think a lot of my team in the kitchen call me chef because they can't say not seriously. And not Which, isn't a very hard name. That's surprising. For you, Jason, but for <laughs> a lot of people. And, you know, in All kitchen, right. a lot of immigrants, they're not used to that name. It's different for for. Most we should people. come up with another, with like a nickname for you that's not chef and not a not. Alabusta. Oh, yeah. Is there yeah. something shorter so that in case, Balabusta is just a lot of, a lot of letters and letters. a lot of syllables. So if someone's like no, passing it- you or something. <laughs> I think they need to learn a nut. And yes, I, yes, they should. Yeah, exactly. Yes, they should. Easy. Who do I, who do I need to call? <laughs> Ghostbusters. <laughs> when I come to the restaurant in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go back there and say, this is a nut. Let's okay. learn how to pronounce it. Um, so something else that I always found so funny about this roommate is he also was a very, very good cook. He studied at Le Cordon Bleu. He... He every once in a while would make something at home and I would he would let me taste it. And I'm, this is the best lasagna I've ever had, or this is the best pasta dish. It was wow. it would be something so simple, but he just knew the right balances of everything. But 99% of the time, he would have like a bodega sandwich for dinner or a subway sandwich for dinner, or you know, a bowl of cereal, or even like not even good, not even good New York pizza. He'd have like Papa John's or something. Is that you at home? Do you? I no, try just... always to have good food. Good Why do I, time is uh, time is short. Life is short. I want good food at any time. What is a day in the life like for you? If you if you're okay to cook at home, I imagine you can't be 
you know, cooking and cooking all day or else you wouldn't want to be cooking at home. What is it? What is the day? Today I was coming to the restaurant at nine o'clock and I did uh, something for social, something for company, all clan that I'm partner with. Uh, I did some content video. So we film it. So I cook, I make crepe cakes really nice. That was really delicious. So we make that. And so I do that once in a week, once in two weeks. I have a lot of phone meeting. Then I have a special I want to make for Balabusta today. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably dessert special to have on a menu. And tonight I'm staying at a restaurant, but this maybe twice a week only. I'm staying in the evening. I'm trying to be home with the kids now. Um my day changing every day to something else. It really depends what's going on. There is a lot of different stuff and different collab and, and work and, and project. I'm working also with Cook Unity, which is a company that's selling packaging food with many different chefs. So now yesterday I was there to create another six new dishes on the platform. So, um, Oh, wow. Sorry. So, yeah. So when you do a special at the restaurant, that's something that you have come in and created. Yeah. I, uh, I have a chef here named Alexis and uh, she can come with ideas and we will work with that. It's need to be, you know, fit to the concept and what we're doing here. So it's not off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I have, uh, I sometimes bring old, old dishes that people ask. Like there is certain things that people ov- ask over and over and over until I get tired and annoyed. And then I'm like, okay, so we put that for a week, an old dish. But I try to get creative and seasonal and um, and put in some new stuff. Now, I also have a garden upstate, so I bring in stuff here for specials. So right now we have, that's for my friend garden, a lot of sunchokes, Jerusalem artichoke. We're mm. going to make today some soup and uh, really nice soup. So we'll do that. Um, and I bring a lot of peppers and stuff from the end of the summer for to cook pickles and do stuff at the restaurant. I love that. Me too. So I'm sure people want to know, let's like rewind a tiny bit. How did... Taim and Balabusta come to be? There's a lot that people could find online. What's your, like, if we were riding in an elevator, tell what, what what's the story you would tell in the elevator? What is the elevator <laughs> pitch now? Uh, wait, wait. No, 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 uh, not, a, not a pitch, but I guess point? it's like so, a short story. How did, how did your restaurants come to be? So, uh... Taim was your mom. No. Oh, I yes, thought she said, mom, yes, right, right, said, right. Said this until now she won percentage uh, <laughs> in Persian. Uh, my mom, no, it's not. Actually, I work in fine dining before Taim, big fine mm-hmm. dining. I work at Danube, back then Patria. I work at Tabla with our RIP Floyd. Um, I work with under a lot of different chefs in New York, very high-end restaurant. And then I opened a tiny falafel joint, which was a crazy kind of things to do. Nobody did it back then. Nobody have back then a fast casual. Every fine dining cook want to do a fine dining. So for me, it was a very different. Um, there is a location that come that came along and as a great opportunity. And I'm like, you know what? We need to do that. Mm. 
it's funny, I thought I'm going to open that for a few months. My husband will run that and then I will be back in fine dining, maybe open a different restaurant. But, you know, uh, we plan and God is laughing. I got pregnant really fast after we opened Taim. Um, and that's the first location in a West Village in 222 Waverly Place in 2005. Now, nobody have anything here. We have Mamoon. We have... Maybe Azuri was exist back then in 52nd Street. Very few places that do falafel. Definitely nobody do sabiq. And definitely not doing as great falafel as Taim was providing. Three different flavor. We have the roasted red pepper. We have arisa and green. And then beautiful line of salads that was very high-end. The first time that somebody took tahini that is not like just water and a really good quality tahini. A great time by great sauces, a real arisa. And it was great. The the it was very tough year, the first year, and then it was went crazy. I don't think anyone, I'm not joking, got so much press as much as the im. It was every day we got something between China to Italy to Japan for every kind of guide, for every kind of travel magazine, from Lonely Planet, for every little thing. It was a very Zagat got us like 27, like it was crazy. It was really very impressive and very nice to see. People loved it. So, and it was, for me, it was very nice to show. I think this is another thing with Balabusta. It was such a nice thing to show New Yorkers. Yeah. Here is a great Middle Eastern and Israeli cuisine. Here is what is Arisa. This is Preservalem. All these ingredients, I think, Taim and Balabusta was the kind of the first one that actually introduced that. Yeah. Taim, Taim is delicious. It's quick and it's reasonably priced. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all of the things that you look for when you're going to have lunch in New York City. Yeah. Or, you know, something before you see a show or a concert or, you know, whatever yeah. it's. So you killed it. Okay. So then from there, how did Balabusta come to be? So five years after, that's 2010, um, I met a friend, a guy, that he had this location in Mulberry, and he said that you want to do a, like a cafe place. And I said, I don't want to really do a cafe, but I would love to do a small restaurant. So we took that location, and actually a few months after, we took another next location. So we have a beautiful long restaurant over there. The location was stunning. That's Nolita, when Nolita was just starting. The only restaurant on that block was across was Ruby. And then Torizzi just opened right next to me. So it was nothing around there. Now the whole area is so oversaturated. And uh, it was so beautiful. Um, Balabusta was unique. The first place, I think, they're doing like Kube, Hamusta, all this Mizrahi beautiful food, a lot of Yemenite food, a lot of Persian food, a lot of things that people not, you know, uh, so familiar with. So it was super, super, for me, it was super important to represent and educate and show, you know, my culture and where I come from. You, you know, talking about your culture and where you come from, you say that that Israeli cuisine is kind of this melting pot of hundreds of cultures. What and, and, and it must shift for you all the time. But today, what does what are some of these cultures? What does Israeli cuisine mean to you today? A lot of different things. It's a conversation we did so many times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a lot of influence for my neighbors. It's a lot of like. 
Jewish cuisine that uh, kind of sink in, you know, it's a lot of like a regulation and uh, limitation of cooking on Shabbat. So a lot of slow cooking. Um, and then I think the most interesting stuff, it's like this melting pot. It's like I cook amazing couscous and North African cuisine. My mom is from Iran, but grew up in Iraqi home. So I cook both. My dad was from a family from Yemen. So I cook a lot of Yemenite food. But my neighbor, which in, in Israel neighbor is like a family. My neighbor was Moroccan. So I learned since eight years old, I learned how to create Moroccan dishes as well. So there is a lot of different. I grew up with a lot of different cuisine in my house. Mm -hmm. uh, and Shabbat morning was looking very eclectic and very interesting. We always have Kegel, noodle Kegel, which is my mm. favorite thing. Um, and next to a Jechnun and Kubanem, which is Yamanite. Next to sometimes later, it's Tbit, which is Iraqi chicken and rice overnight. So a lot of different things like that from all this culture. It was very interesting. Yeah. A lot of flavors. I just was... Hearing about your new soup dumpling, I guess it might not be so new anymore. No, it's a year almost. Okay, so new-ish coming new out of a pandemic, but oh, it sounds so good. It is so good. I, I tried to put it on a menu for two years and it was really, really hard to find somebody. I could not do it myself. Yeah, It's very tough. And I found a master. I found a dumpling master that come in once a week and we create enough for the whole week. We freeze those. They're perfect. They come so good. They have Yemenite, like my dad Yemenite soup, the one I grew up that we used to make. So Yemenite soup inside with a little bit of beef. And then it's coming with a chilbe sauce that's made with fenugreek leaves, cilantro, mm. tomato, delicious. And that's such a perfect example of this like combination of cultures. Yeah. That's yeah. so Not cool. in Israel. That's a combination of culture of New York for me. It's like right. my yeah. Mika, my daughter Mika, is obsessed with soup dumpling. Mm -hmm. like, so we always go to Mott Street and uh, passing by on a way to get her some. And uh, that's the reason I decided to make that. I'm like, this would be great because I like the idea. I never really care about, you know, I don't want to eat pork and I don't want to eat, you know, it's too much gelatin, a lot of like fat. So for me, I just want to make my own kind of broth inside so the idea is perfect but i want a different flavor for me so yeah. i think that's how it's came about oh i love that um so speaking of you know a lot of conversations that i heard you part of were some were just before the pandemic and some were during the pandemic and you had talked about you know how things have have changed a bit while you were in the thick of it now that we're I'll say out of it in quotation marks, how have things changed? Have you, do you have dishes or, or inspiration? I'm fat those... again. <laughs> <laughs> I was skinny in a pandemic. I lost 25 pounds. So yeah. What? How did you manage that? The first everyone, time everyone everyone a restaurant. Oh, I know, but oh God, I was at and I, I have a garden, amazing garden, and I brought chicken in a pandemic, 12 chicken. I have only three now, but I have chicken. So I have fresh eggs and I have crazy amount of vegetable nonstop, nonstop. So yeah. I was cooking for myself and I was organized and I was walking and working and, and active and I don't have the 
the temptation of restaurant, this is the biggest problem because when the minute I step into a restaurant, I want to eat the whole menu and try right. everything. Of course, of course. Um, so, so that's for you personally. Have have things, have inspiration for your menu? Has have 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 you found yeah. different things that are now that we're now that things have changed in the world? Are you looking at things differently or not really? It's very tricky now because in one way I'm, I always try to have balabustas, not too expensive restaurant. I never want to be like you're going there and uh, you feel like overpriced, you know, mm-hmm. and most of the restaurant, that's what you feel this day because all the cost goods got so high. So that's the one thing I'm struggling all the time. How I can keep like at a decent pricing and it's very hard with the payroll and the minimum wage and the whole, the, the produce that went crazy and you can't find, like there is so many things that element in a restaurant that change. So that's one thing. Um, I'm trying to do much more vegetable than ever. Um, so we have a lot, like we just put a beautiful um, uh, squash steak, vegan dish with like bean salad for forbidden rice crackers and, like a really nice uh, glaze on the kind of like a veggie stack. It's so nice. A lot of dishes like that. I'm trying, we're trying here to create um, things that more healthy, I would say, but also because yeah. I'm a, a, a woman, I think it's always going to be like that. I cook mm-hmm. like a woman, not like a man. There is mm-hmm. no butter in my cuisine. There is not beef fat and things, you know, it's very light. Um you can eat so much and never, never feel too bloated here. You know, you get out um, feeling good, which I like. Like, yes. time here, I said, oh, my God, I ate so much, but I never feel like because there is no fat much in the food. There is mm. the good fat. We have tahini, we have avocados, we have uh, a lot of yogurts, olive oil, but barely any butter in any dish. I don't think there is any butter in anything. Wow. Creams and. Uh, no. Sure. I assume that's true for your cookbooks too, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And also the cookbooks, the both cookbooks, I want to create something that would be easy for people and not gonna, I don't want to show them how creative and unique and skilled, you know, it's not about my ego. It's about how I make it on ease for people to cook so they can find these ingredients easy and don't feel too intimidating. You know, like there is a lot of cookbooks that have too many ingredients um, so I have, much time. I have one cookbook at home that in order to do one dish, I need three different sauces to do ahead. So wow. if I want to do that dish, I need that sauce, that oil, specific oil to make all that kind. And it's like, okay, I can do that. That this would take it. Every dish is like that. It's different sauces and different like paste and things. And I can, I think it's very hard for people. Then it's mm-hmm. very hard to cook with that way. So I, I try to make it very very easy with a lot of substitution. So mm. you don't have sumac. Here is the closest things you can make to that. You don't have preserved lemon. That's fine. Here is fast preserved lemon you make in 10 minutes. This is so a lot of that, I think, to make people feel like, you know. Yeah, it's accessible. Yeah. That's, that's great. So yeah. Balabusta, the book, was clearly inspired by the restaurant. Where did where did Shuk come from? No, it wasn't? Yes and no. Okay. Uh, yes, there is some. Okay, so Balabusta cookbook. I love this book. It's very personal uh, compared to Shuk. It's very, very personal. It's all the story of my life in uh, PG. Uh, 
no drug, sex, and rock and roll there. Um, but the story about how I met my husband, the story about uh, a lot of funny stories. So I really, really like it. It's super funny. Um, my brother-in-law actually helped me to write it, and he's a comedian, so that was great. Um, and it's like the chapter is going very different. It's going like fat like me. So things that you for losing weight and healthy and balance. And then there is first cut is the deepest things when you feeling bad and you got dumped, you know, like, so it's a very fancy, fancy. So things that more like fancy, just the two of us, it thinks for couple. So it's going by that, by situation Bam. and feels and not by soup. And <laughs> while, while uh, Shook is so much more serious in a way, mm-hmm. I have a co-writer named Jana Guru, which uh, she's a, a very a food person from Israel that know a lot about the Israeli market and the cuisine. And she used to have a very famous um, magazine called Ala Shulchan it's for many, many years. So she was my co-writer. Um, and that was great. It was Shuk is mar- I mean market, but it's not the market we know in America, like the farmer market. It's more like a bazaar with vegetable and d- different things. And every market's kind of specializing in this different things. Uh, so it's kind of like going around Israel when there is like eight markets all over the books. And like, how we cook in Israel? It's a very Israeli cookbook. It's super. a super Israeli cookbook. Yeah. Cool. Um... Okay, terrible non sequitur, but I I want to make sure we have time to talk about your comedy. So you said your cookbooks don't have their your cookbooks are PG. They don't have the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You've talked about writing your memoir. Is that still happening? Yes, but I'm holding that for a second because I'm working on a TV show now. So I'm going to hold with the memoir for later. Okay. I'm busy. So- but in your your things that are not PG and where we will find sex, drugs, and rock and roll is your comedy. How it is so you you spent a lot of time at the comedy cellar, you got to know the comedians. When how did you go from the reason, an observer to a comedian? So observer? I'm never was observer. Ever. Oh, you what do you mean? You said you were that you saw shows there all the time. Oh, observer. You know, I thought religious observer. Oh, okay. oh, 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 oh. No, sorry, no, no, sorry. English is not my first language. What <laughs> great excuse. Audience member, audience member. Going from, okay, yes, going yes, from yes. sitting in the audience true, and being on true. the stage. Okay, got you, got you. Okay, uh, first I'm going to the Comedy Cellar for years and years and years. Every mm-hmm. time I have a friend out of town, I would go there. It's a great night out. And what there is in life better than great food and and the great laugh. So in order to make great food, I actually did the whole consulting for the comedy seller. So the food now is mine over there. So. Oh my God, how fun. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so now there is a new menu, but there is no connection to what I did. So a few years ago, I decided right before pandemic, I think 2018 or 19, I decided to do something else, like uh, just to take a hobby. And Mm -hmm. I thought maybe I do pottery or you know, few things I enjoy, like with my hands or maybe, but you know, I, I like, like I can, I like jokes. I like to laugh. I like comedy. I watch a lot of comedy on, on TV. Um, and I said, you know what? And then I just got, it was so random. I got a, um, an email for comedy seller. We're doing a classes. Da, da, da. So I book a class and 
it's not very expensive. It's like, I think, 10 classes or seven or something like that. It's three hours each time. You have a group of uh, about 10 people. My teacher was like phenomenal comedian, her name Veronica Mossi. And she's, um, and I did it, that with her. And I went on a comedy after that to perform. And I performed a few times since then. And then um, last year, or a year and a half ago, I was like, you know what, let's do another one. And at the same time, the comedy seller reached out and asked me while I'm doing the class and asked me if I can do a consultant job and kind of like revamp the menu a bit and bring some more Middle Eastern dishes there. And I'm like, this is perfect timing. It works yeah. so well. And then I, uh, they let me, they're very generous, amazing people that let me perform several times. I actually opened once to Amy Schumer. Cool. Good for her. <laughs> yes, that's what I mean. So you, you're doing comedy or you had been doing comedy to, to give yourself something else to do. But also you said once upon a time you got into cooking because you, you wanted to find something that you wouldn't get bored of. Is that still true? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I still have a lot, a lot, a lot of passion, which I really enjoy. And I think I'm yeah. very, very fortunate and lucky. I talk to a lot of my chef friends and a lot of them like that. Sometimes they, they're not sure they want to continue cooking. But I think I go into sleep with thinking about food and I wake up with thinking about food. I finish my breakfast and think what we're going to cook for, for lunch and finish lunch and thinking what we cook for dinner. And my brain is almost the capacity, probably 95% is about food, which wow. is very rare at my age and my stage in, in my career. And I really happy about it. I don't get tired. Like, what would you say Ainat Admoni's dramatic question is, will Ainat blank? What's the thing that keeps you going every day? Wow. Um, I want to rebrand the whole Balabusta. That's what I'm doing now. Interesting. Yeah. So will Chef not redefine the redefine. meaning That's the word. of Balabusta? Yes, redefine it. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, for some people, they love it because they grew up with a grandma that always called them, oh, you're Balabusta. Yeah. And some people find it very oppressive because it's a woman that stay at home and not uh, right. develop herself and like moving forward in life, you know? So it's... So and, uh, redefining, but also maybe reclaiming. Yeah, reclaiming and also explaining that Balabusta can be many different things. And yeah. uh, and all that things can be really um, helpful in our world today. Yeah. As yeah. women and as a society and as a community, there is a lot of trades and skills from Balabusta that can help us. Yeah, I mean, a Balabusta can be a kick-ass comedian yeah. and and prepare a thanksgiving sized shabbat dinner every week yes <laughs> that's very cool um i thank you so much for all of your time thank you. we see it's you in a few weeks such a pleasure thanks for listening i had the pleasure of dining at balabusta following the recording of this episode and i'm excited to share that the soup dumplings were great Wow. Okay. That was pretty good. That was yeah. so good. The flavors are so good. We're going to need like 300 more of those. I know. That was amazing. In case you were wondering, while everything I tried was delicious, I'd highly recommend the Brussels sprouts, the shrimp, and the tahini creme brulee. 
76 West will be back in January 2023 with all new episodes giving a behind-the-scenes look at books as a part of the JCC's Books That Changed My Life Festival. To learn more about the festival, please visit book-festival.mmjccm.org. 76 West is produced by Udi Ehrman and me, Jason Blitman. Our editor is Matt Temkin with music written and performed by Peril Wolf. If you like what you heard, check out our previous conversations, write us a review, and make sure to subscribe so you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops in January. Until next time.